Hey, welcome to the Afikr Podcast. My name is Mikey Mhenna. Today we have another episode of Matbakh for you, our series all about food and drink from the Arab world. Our special guest is Bahraini chef Tala Bashmi. I hope you enjoy the conversation, and as always, you can head over to YouTube if you want to watch the interview. Welcome, everyone. My name is Mikey Mhenna. I'm happy to have you here for another episode of Matbakh, our series all about food and drink from the Arab world. Our special guest is Tala Bashme, who was born in Bahrain and is making a name for herself as one of the most promising stars of the culinary world. The NBC Top Chef finalist and winner of Mina's Best Female Chef for 50 Best Award in 2022 is on a quest to not only modernize Arabic cuisine, but also create a culinary journey like no other at her restaurant, Fusions by Tala. Tala, welcome to Afikra's Matbakh. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. You know, let's start there. Okay, let's start with um, <laughs> Bahrain and you, <laughs> you being happy to be, <laughs> you being happy to be here. So let's um, start a little bit uh, with the idea of being a chef from Bahrain. Um, especially one who is like taking on the culinary world as we were discussing before the call got started. So what was your relationship to food um, growing up in Bahrain? Did you think that you were eating um, Bahraini food? Did you think you were eating food more, most generally? Like what was your relationship to food growing up? My relationship to food was kind of what our dad enjoyed. So Uh, My dad studied in Egypt. So as a kid growing up in Bahrain, it wasn't common for you to have pigeon hamam for lunch. Um, So we'd have something like stuffed pigeon. We'd have molakhiya with aranib. We'd then have Bahraini dishes. And I remember having my friends over after school once, and it was unlucky for them, pigeon for lunch. And they thought I was the weirdest kid ever. Like, what do you eat at home? A lot of my food and my childhood with food was curated by my parents and and what they enjoyed eating and mostly Middle Eastern food. And I'm not going to lie, but growing up, it wasn't my favorite cuisine. Yeah. What is, sorry to be so crass, but what is Bahraini food? How would you describe it? So Bahraini food, that's a good one. So I'm going to say our cuisine came from necessity. Most of uh, the people back in the day were either fishermen, they were pearl divers. So a lot of our food had to be preserved, whether salted, dried, um, and it's mainly seafood based because we're an island. So a lot of our traditional dishes are uh, using dried shrimp, dried fish, rehydrated. Um, And like I said, they used to work a lot of laborious jobs. So a lot of our dishes are very rich, very heavy. Mm dense uh, so it would last the entire day so our cuisine was a cuisine built on necessity and sustenance more than anything and making it enough for everyone because it wasn't a wealthy island so again like I said it was one of our well-known dishes is called muaddam and it's made by uh, cooking an entire fish shredding it and serving it on top of rice so you'd have everyone in the family would have a little bit of fish because not everyone could afford a fish per person. So that in a nutshell, I would say, is our traditional uh, cuisine and how it started and what it was kind of about. Yeah. In terms of like techniques or flavor profile or spices or ingredients, where is the influence coming from? Like, is it 
very South Asian? Do you feel like there's a ton of African stuff going on? Um, I mean, you have a population of 1.6 million, half of, half of which is actually only Bahraini. So mm. growing up, we were exposed to uh, Persian food, uh, Filipino food, Indian food, all of this. And actually, the hands that shaped our palate are the hands that cooked for us. And a lot of those hands came from people from India, from the Philippines, from etc. So our palates were actually shaped not by um, Arab flavors in a sense, you know, and, and people don't realize that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think that's not definitely, that's not a Bahraini um, phenomenon, but it's a, what you're describing is a dynamic that exists definitely across the GCC, but across the Arab world more broadly, where we think of these things as like static profiles that, that are like capital A Arab, where it's like, of course not, that's, that's a ridiculous notion, right? So um, when, you know, a lot of kids grow up uh, helping out with, um, helping out in the kitchen, um, wanting to be involved. When did you think to yourself, A, I think I'm good at this, and B, <laughs> and B, I think I want to pay my bills doing this? So that took me a while to uh, kind of acknowledge or realize even. Um, but I knew something, which was food always gave me comfort. No matter what, um, no matter how I was feeling. It was something that I would always go back to and it would give me some sort of joy, comfort and, and happiness. And I grew up loving to eat more than cooking. My dad would do like the cooking most of the time. So I, my palate was shaped by him and his love for like really punchy flavors and spices and heat, which I didn't pick up on because I don't like spicy food. <laughs> um, but eventually, I think it was in college, I started cooking. I made a, a lot of really bad meals. Um, I then made a lot of meals in big quantities for people. And that made me happy. Is I'm like, hey, I just fed 10 people. And I think it was in London um, for a team. Uh, my sister and her friend had a team, uh, a magazine. And I was like, hey, why not? I'm home. Let me make a huge pot of noodles for everybody. Um, eventually got into baking. and. I realized again, how much joy that's brought people like a single brownie made someone really happy. And I think the shift started when I started my home business. Well, okay. So tell me a little about that. I'm, I'm not familiar with that. So okay. what was your home business? And um, I just, uh, uh, for those who can't see the screen, I'm going to show a bunch of photos from uh, Tala's uh, current restaurant, not the brownie baking home, no. business, home business, but tell me about the home business as we show these uh, very elaborate. Because that, that was the start. That was the start of it all for me. It started with me baking for my friends and they literally told me, Tala, you're making us fat. How about you do this for other people? Uh, ended up joining these food markets and I would bake, package, deliver, um, market, etc., all on my own. And again, it all comes down to the single point of it brought people so much happiness. And to this day, and this started in 2010, uh, to this day, people still ask me, do you still make these brownies? People still follow me from that day and have seen kind of my journey and progress. And Please tell me what the name of that business was. Was it like a cute, kitschy title? It was called Baked by Tea. Okay. <laughs> I was hoping that it was like some very lowbrow 
um, lowbrow, like embarrassing title, but baked by tea is not embarrassing. It's okay. It was okay. Yeah. But I had very cool names for my desserts, you know? So please go yeah. ahead. No, I'm afraid now. <laughs> No, so like a lot of them were based on the music and music influences and songs that I enjoy. Um, so I had a bar that was called Purple Haze because it had berries in it. I had mm -hmm. um, my Stairway to Heaven bars, which again, my OG followers know very well. Um, Marley bars. So it was all along those lines. Yeah. Sure. Cool. Um, okay. So a lot of people have these sort of these businesses, but again, when did it say like, okay, no, I actually kind of want to be capital C chef and I want to, uh, you know, get trained and uh, think about how to actually turn this into a career. So that was 2014. Officially, I joined the Gulf Hotel as a trainee. I was like, I could open a bakery and just have my own bakery, but I actually want to be the best chef I can be and legitimize myself in a field professionally. So 2014, joined the hotel as a trainee, uh, did that for two years, then uh, went to Switzerland to pursue my uh, degree. Is that is that a typical route? I feel like a lot of people in your position would have said, no, 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 I want to just go get a degree immediately and not like sort of roll up my sleeves and and actually like see what the life is actually like. I felt like I needed to um, prove to myself that one, this was actually what I wanted to do and prove that I was worthy to go to school because a lot of people are financially, um, well, some people are financially able to just go to school. Um, I wasn't. And at the time uh, there was an opportunity with the Gulf Hotel where if they see that you're fit and you're, you have a future ahead of you, then you're, they kind of create the scholarship where they will send you abroad, where you come back and you then work for them. So I had a kind nice. of golden opportunity. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you come back, was the idea always, um, or you go study, was the idea go study and come back to Bahrain and like put your imprint um, and bring sort of like fine dining, your version of fine dining back to Bahrain. Was that always the idea? That was always the idea. So as soon as I went off to Switzerland and I uh, trained and I learned all these techniques and I worked at Michelin star restaurants, I was always like, that's what I want. That's what I want is I want to get a star one day and I want to bring this back to Bahrain and I want to put Bahrain on the map because we make good food. We have good food. We're just not there yet. Yeah. So, okay. So for people who don't understand this, why is that a big deal? Like, the, the idea of like get a Michelin star, put Bahrain on the map, prove to the world that we got amazing stuff like it's it may sound like a ridiculous question, but when does that become a big deal? Like when you go from I want to make people happy making Marley bars into I have to have to prove that we're on the map. <laughs> Like, when does that change? I feel like my entire culinary career has been based on proving others wrong. And when you come from such a tiny island like Bahrain, you spend your entire life explaining to people where it is, you know. Um, and I feel like the trying to prove came from the people I worked under, the situations I was put uh, in, the difficulties and the challenges I faced in those kitchens where I was like, you know what? One day I'll show you. That's kind of where that fire started yeah. inside me. 
And it was like, you know what? No, I can do this. I'm going to do this. And you know, it pushed me this far. So who were some of your idols and inspiration? Like, were there regional uh, folks who you looked up to and said, yeah, yeah, yeah those are the footsteps I want to follow in, or was it out, uh, outside the region? You know, what was the path you were trying to take to begin? So with? the thing is in the region, you have Dubai. Dubai has always been, when it comes to culinary, um, always happening, new restaurants popping up. However, they were always foreign chefs. They were always European, American, wherever they may be from. And they were always the ones who put themselves on the map and had these elevated experiences. And it was never someone Arab. It was never our food either. And I'm like, that's not fair. That's not like our food deserves to shine and our ingredients and our flavors and our history deserves its moment and longer than that. So did I have any culinary heroes from the region? Nobody in the fine dining field, but I did admire a couple of the chefs that I worked under and one I very, very much didn't. <laughs> okay, we'll leave names out of this, mm-hmm. for, this for the sake of the recording. Um, but yeah, so, so let's get to uh, Fusions by Talo. Um, for those who don't know, it's a restaurant in um, Basin Bahrain. Um, tell, tell us about the idea, uh, especially the, the name, because there are a lot of people who shy away from the word fusions. They sort of, um, you know, they, uh, they roll their eyes yeah. at it. So I feel like by naming it fusions by Tada, you're kind of like putting your flag in the, in the ground. Um, tell me a little bit about the name and the idea. So the restaurants, the hotel has been around for over 50 years. It's the first five-star hotel in Bahrain. And this restaurant was always there. And it was actually always called Fusions, okay? And Fusions mm. in the chef in the chef world, uh, like you said, is kind of like snubbed and like, what is Fusion? Fusion is confusion. So not going to lie. I did my best to try to change that name. That oh, you did. Happen. I tried. I tried. But um, at the end of the day, it kind of fits into what I've learned and the food that I do and the techniques and everything that I brought with me. I'm not forcing anything to be fusion ever in my cuisine or at the restaurant. Um, But after taking it over in 2018, um, by 2020, we renovated and it was renamed Fusions by Tada. And I was able to create a menu completely, uh, my ideas, my dishes, my you know, and, and really no one interfered after that point. If you could, would you rename it now? Probably, yes. Really? <laughs> okay, interesting, cool. Do you do, uh, just as a side note, do you do much baking there at all? Like, do you have this other sort of side of you that's still baking a ton? 100%. I mean, so all our breads are bacon house, all the desserts, um, I make myself, there's no pastry chef per se. I teach my team and they execute it. I always do think about how can I turn this awesome brownie into like a fancy looking dessert, but you just don't mess with that. Some things are meant to be what they are and other things are meant to be kind of explored in a different way, but I do still bake for sure. Yeah. So um, who's your average like patron? Uh, Is it uh, are, are people coming to the restaurant to come to the restaurant or are they sort of like um, regulars who come all the time and this is this is where they love to to be? Is it uh, just 
hotel, you know, patrons? So I would say definitely very few hotel patrons. So we're on the sixth floor. We don't get walk-ins. Everybody that comes came because they heard about the place. They know about the place. You don't stumble upon it, uh, which is actually very nice for me to have that idea. It's like, wow, all these people heard about us somehow. Not just, oh, look, restaurant, food. No, it's, you know, something. Um, a lot of our guests are local, but I would say the expat community foreigners are really growing. Um, and I have my regulars, definitely. I have one guy who's been coming to me now for four years. Um, he's, since day one, has been like, just give me whatever you want. Literally has oh. not set the menu since since I wasn't known at all. And he's actually coming today and I have to come up with a new menu for him. <laughs> okay, so once and for all. Yeah. Let's say he's not listening. How annoying yeah. is it when somebody does that? Aren't you like, just pick the menu? Can you just pick off the menu? Honestly, um, he said this to me, I think, last week or two weeks ago, because he knows I will always try to give him a different experience every time he comes. He's like, Tala Tara, I don't come here for your new dishes. I come here to enjoy your food. Whatever you want to give me, you give me. I really don't care. And when he said that, I was like, thank you. I wish there was more of you. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I want to come back. I want to go back to this idea of like the joy of eating. Right. And that's the driving force. Right. So we were talking a little bit before the call, this natural tension between um, fine dining and um, sort of like mass, mass appeal. And how do you reconcile that in your head? Right. How do you reconcile the idea of like, baked by Tada, just like giving people regular um, or common dishes that they just love these classic dishes versus these reimagined, deconstructed or um, dishes that people may not be as familiar with. How do you sort of reconcile or balance those two desires? It's very difficult. I would say one, one thing that I realized and is kind of I'm not going to say I'm going away from fine dining, but it's changed my mentality is I've realized a lot of chefs don't cook for people when it comes to fine dining, but it's kind of their ego on a plate. Um, and I always wanted to be like them in a sense of high technical skill and abilities and visual and how that all looks. And that's really what mattered. But when I ate certain things in certain places, um, I was like, everything tastes the same and it doesn't make me happy. And it looks pretty, but it doesn't make me happy. So why do I want to be like them? And yeah. doing these uh, intricate, I guess, deconstructed dishes and my variations of them, the, the one thing, the fear, I guess you may say, is people won't like it. Yeah. They won't get it. They won't like it. But some wise person told me recently, um, don't change your food for anyone just because they don't get it. As long as I think it's something delicious and I would enjoy an experience I want to give people, I should. So, yeah. yeah. If you could have an alter ego um, and have a whole nother restaurant that no one knows, it's like Bala Tashmi, okay? <laughs> it's like <laughs> some bizarro version of you, okay? No one knows it's you. 
What would that restaurant be? Honestly, it would be probably like a nine or 10 seater restaurant. Um, and I would make whatever I felt like on the day with whatever ingredients I got. Um, and it would be very simple cooking, very simple food done well. And in a very intricate, small atmosphere that's laid back, you know, does that make sense? So like Izakaya style, mm-hmm. some of my fondest memories were eating at Izakaya style restaurants in Japan. And that's all you wanted. Yeah. When you say simple dishes, what are some that come to mind? What are some that just jump out at you? You're like, come on. Exactly. Something like that. Something as simple as I'll use this example from Japan. They had a fresh shiitake mushroom that they scored and they grilled and they seasoned with salt and pepper. Like literally a simple ingredient cooked and seasoned to perfection that the ingredient speaks for itself. But keep in mind flavor, like salt and pepper, man. You don't forget that, you know? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, Bahrain's an island. Um, So there are limitations about how many, like local ingredients. What are some of the local ingredients that you rely on and some things that you rely on that you just cannot find at all locally? Uh Uh-huh. This is a good one because most of the year, I would say we got six months of six good months and six months of very dry, hot weather where very little grows locally. Um, I have yet to have a tomato as good as Bahraini tomatoes when they're really nice in season. And that's actually during the winter for us when the rest of the world, it's almost spring, summer. So it's very interesting creating a menu as well at that time. You'll see people in uh, France, Italy, Spain, summertime is about tomatoes we're like it's december it's tomato season um so that's one thing another thing is our dried shrimp you you can't get the same dried shrimp anywhere else but having said that um apart from seafood and fresh seafood from the island we have to import a lot and during the past two years we faced a lot of challenges Um, As much as I want to do a menu based on local produce, like it's not realistic. You're going to be eating like herbs and tomatoes. Like I I can't be too creative with that. Um, And it's been really challenging as a chef to create menus, to keep something, a name of something on the menu. And you don't know if you're going to be able to get it next week. Yeah. So, yeah. So do you feel like you are sort of, a lot of people, you know, uh, who do similar types of things that you're doing, use language like I'm trying to expand what Bahraini food looks like and is and expand people's understanding of, of our, our cuisine. Do you feel like that's the work that you're trying to engage in, that you're trying to like ha- influence the new Bahraini cuisine? Or you're like, I don't care. I'm not involved in that process <laughs> at all. I don't know if I'm I know I'm not doing it on purpose. I might be doing it in some way. Uh, All I know is I'm still learning about our cuisine. Uh, I'm still learning about our flavors. And what I'm doing is sharing them with others and hoping they have a new experience and a new aha moment and a new memory trigger. Maybe it reminds them of something. So maybe indirectly I am doing that. Um, But do I want to stand for that? 
hey, if it happens, it happens. I'm doing yeah. my thing, you know? Okay, I have another question for you about uh, <laughs> your, your notoriety, okay? Um, we talked about this. <laughs> we talked about this earlier, but I want to I want to come back to it because, yeah. um, you know, you in general, I feel like you like to keep a pretty low profile. Um, how are you sort of navigating your an increase in notoriety? Right, I, I, I mentioned at the at the jump that you just won this award from Fifty Best. It's extremely prestigious award, award that I'm sure that you're proud to have won. But at the same time, given what I sense from you in terms of like your, your reluctance to have this big profile, it must come with a sense of trepidation. So how are you balancing those two things? I tell you what, it's really difficult. I mean, it's an amazing thing to be acknowledged in my field by my peers. That's something that was always the most important to me and more than insta fame or whatever other fame exists these days for me it was always the acknowledgement and and um that i would get from my peers in my field and that award kind of uh gave that to me but i'll say this one thing that my guests uh, may not know is i'm not as social as you think and as much as um Again, a chef today, there's this expectation as well that for some reason that we're social and bubbly and, you know, we have the ability and capability to go and talk to every table and move around the room. And I just want to say, you know, to to those guests, I, I apologize in advance if I don't make it to your table. It, I'm not the most uh, socially, uh, whatever you want to call it. Behind the screen, it's a lot easier. Not going to lie. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I am very happy with the achievement. I feel like Top Chef kind of um, gave me more of that fame per se sure. yeah. with with people. Uh, but I balance it. But I, I really try my best to go out and you know be social. Do you feel like you have a a specific expectation? Like, do you ever feel like you put a dish on the menu? And people are like, "Ugh, this is not a this is not in her lane." Do you feel like you have a lane that you have to follow? Um, having said that, I feel like that's growing. That idea is growing in people's heads. The more I grow as a chef, and I become known as a chef. Um, but having said that, I have a restaurant at a hotel, so there is also a certain expectation. Um, for my menu, can I go completely crazy, not on the a la carte, but on my tasting menu, for example, I can. Um, so yeah, I feel like the more known and I get and the more um, acknowledgement I get, the more people become fussy and, and feel the need to say things like that. Yeah, okay, so... Um... Outside of the region, who are some of your um, who are some of your role models or inside the region who you like? You, maybe not role models from afar. I guess they could be, but mentors who you're sort of calling up to be like, "Hey, how do you do this? You know, how do you navigate this?" Hundred percent for me uh, since Top Chef, it's been Chef Bobby Chin. So he's. Chinese, Egyptian, American. And since the show, like he 
he's been that person that I can call up and reach out to and get advice about being a chef and navigating this crazy world and which direction to take. And he really gives me the most amazing life advice. And he's just so down to earth. So as a person that I can actually reach out to and call, I give a shout out to you, Bobby, because you're awesome. Um, and it's just yeah. amazing that this all came out of a TV show. What did you, um, if you were to give yourself advice, if you could be your own Bobby Chin, um, give yourself advice in 2014, what sort of mistakes do you think you made that you're like, Ugh, I wish I could control Z and do that one again? I don't think, so I always say this to my team, every mistake you learn from, and you will always have a takeaway from it. So it just depends on how you see it. And I would say the one advice that I want to give future chefs, because they always come to me and say, I want to be like you. What I tell them is, guys, don't be in such a hurry. Because when you skip those years, those years are what makes you the best chef you can be. If you skip those years, you can't go back to peeling potatoes while leading a team. You can't go back as much and learn the basics. I feel like they forget that. They see all the glory, all the fame, et cetera. And they, they forget, they think I showed up like, you know, and here I am, I have my name on the restaurant. It's not true, you know? Yeah. So those years for you were your internship at the Gulf Hotel and, and studying and all that stuff. You think those were those years? Yeah, hundred percent. Because for my first two years of, working at the Gulf Hotel, I didn't cook one single dish. I mm. only prepped, only. Yeah. And every time I changed into a different kitchen or a different restaurant, there was this starting all over and try to prove myself again because they didn't think I was serious, no matter where I went. So my entire life has been proving people wrong and proving to myself that I can do it. So what happens when you have to stop proving people wrong? Oh, like it's, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm actually there now. Yeah. So like, are you, are you like motivationless? You're like, God damn it. Everybody like, everyone likes me. They all no, believe in me. This that's sucks. not true. Um, I was actually asked this question. It's like, oh, with this award, aren't there all these expectations now? And I've kind of come to a place uh, where I'm like, those expectations are others' expectations. They're the expectations you have. They're not, it's not something I need to force on myself because that changes my trajectory or why I make food the way I make food. So it, it's this, like I said, I'm in this major philosophical food shift and everything I've been fighting for, I'm like, wait a minute, now what? Yeah. You know? Cool. Um, okay, so I want to get to our our chosen ingredient. We have a bunch of really good questions in the chat. So mm -hmm. let's jump to your cho every single Mudbach conversation. We ask the guests to choose either an ingredient or a dish or a recipe that they'd like to talk about. And you chose... Mehiawa. You don't want to say it? <laughs> no, Mehiawa. But I didn't know I didn't know what it was, so I feel like you should introduce it. So um, I had never heard of this dish. Mahiawa, please tell us what this is, especially for those who can't see the screen. So Mahiawa is a fish garum. It's actually brought to uh, Iran initially from the, by the Portuguese. 
And then from Iran, it was brought to Bahrain. So it's basically a fish paste fermented for a month in a bottle in the sun. As you know, our sun is extremely hot, so we use that for a lot of purposes. Um, and it really has an umami flavor, and it's heavily spiced. And the reason I chose this ingredient is because you can find it in so many other cultures in their own variations. So fish sauce, in essence, is a version of mehiawa. And now you can see in uh, Scandinavian cuisine, for example, restaurants like Noma, they do play around a lot with fermentation and garums and different types of garums. So this is something traditionally you will have, like you see in the photo, and if you don't, um, on bread with a fried egg with cheese. And it's just so simple, so good. Um, but I use it in different ways in my cuisine today. What is a garum? So that's garum. It comes from the word garum and it comes from the Persian. So I will explain in a breakdown how to make this maybe. Yeah, yeah that's great. So maybe dried fish, similar to anchovies. Uh, they're dried, mixed with certain spices like coriander, um, cumin, a lot of salt. Uh, they're then crushed, mixed with water and placed in a bottle and put in the sun for about one month for it to ferment and create this almost greenish, brownish, I know that sounds very appetizing, color. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's very fragrant. Every home makes it differently. Every grandmother makes it differently. But in essence, the base is that dried fish, but it's not fishy. Yum. Okay, cool. Okay, we're going to do the, the quick Q&A. And then we're going to open up to questions from the audience. We already have a few. So um, let's... So what are you reading or watching right now, Tada? I'm currently re-watching Bourdain, Parts Unknown. Mm, nice. As you know, it's Bourdain, and he's really a big inspiration and just great stuff. Yeah. So as somebody who, you know, like, I think, um, you know, I wouldn't say you're shy, but I, I feel like you're quite reserved. <laughs> but clearly, you know how to to be on TV, right? Would you ever consider that idea? Would you ever consider being, um, you know, some parts unknown by Tada type thing? I would love that. I would love that because that would put everything I enjoy together. And it's um, easy being behind a camera, actually easier than being in front of people. And I would get to learn more about cultures. I'd expand my knowledge, which would then help me in my cuisine and, and discovering my next steps. And I'd be able yeah. to share what I have. So 100%, I would love that. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, who would you love to shadow for a day, past or present? Am I allowed to say Bourdain again? You are, yeah, for sure. But only if you specify what part of his life. Ooh, look at you. Oh, that's crazy. While, while he's making, while he's making um, uh, eggs benedict over and over and over again, <laughs> brunch, brunch after brunch and writing Kitchen Confidential, or when he's- uh, Can we like chapters of his life? Because that would sure. be very cool. So yeah. I want to be in the thick of it while, while he was writing Kitchen Confidential, all that, and then yeah. into his beginnings of first exploring the world, I guess, because everything yeah. was new to him. Yeah. 
So he's um, he's revered, if we can just stop at Bourdain for a second, he's revered outside of the culinary world, right? Like people, um, as a figure, he's a very sort of, um, uh, he's, he's like a martyr, right? Like people, he, he died in a really tragic way and people love him. Uh, inside of the culinary world, is he also sort of revered? Um, he, I mean, again, depends what revered is. Are you revered if you have a star or are you revered if you don't? Um, yeah. To me, he is because he lived the real gritty world of being a chef, yeah. not the glitz and the glamour. And what makes him great after that and what I think everyone loves about him is he breaks bread with everyone and he shows people that food brings people together. It doesn't matter your background. Yeah. So I, I admire him as a chef and as a person. Cool. Um, all right. What is your guilty pleasure midnight food choice? That's a good one. That's like the only time I eat. So, <laughs> um, I mean, like you I really, you really shouldn't eat something, but you're like, Oh, yeah. I can't help it. What is it? I mean, it's usually something I'd order and it's probably Thai or Chinese, you know, I'm not going to pretend like I cook food at home, you know? <laughs> yeah. No so judgment. Chinese Thai takeout, I would say. What's your go-to Thai uh, dish? Midnight Thai dish. You got to love morning glory, the, the sauteed greens, um, mm. you know, or what's it called? Like a Panang curry, a pad thai, a little bit of everything. I always order for like three people because I'm so yeah. hungry. <laughs> and they're like made to be leftovers. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, what dish most reminds you of home? So this dish is um, two dishes. One of them is the one dish I missed so much when I lived abroad. When I went to university, when I went to Switzerland, it was the one thing that I always craved and that was rosy. So rosy is, is like the baby lamb cooked over rice. You'll usually enjoy it at uh, on Eid or in celebration. So it's a very like rare dish to have. But for some reason, that was what I craved the most. Um, and I remember in Switzerland, I actually made them rosy. <laughs> nice. For my school, yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, so we have a couple questions coming up. The first yeah. comes from Lama, who I think um, uh, wants me to ask it. Um, okay, so the question is, I want to hear more about where Tala's drive came from to pivot to being a chef, considering uh, that she's of a generation where creativity wasn't supported as it wouldn't pay the bills, especially in the Khalij, maybe not so much um, as in the Levant. Unlike today's time where being a quote influencer is, is career making. So yeah, where did this, this determination and creativity um, come from? I always say this to people. If you became a chef for the money, you're in the wrong field. Simple. So I never got in it, obviously, for the money. It wasn't, to this day, it's not something that, you know, it, yes, definitely pays the bills, but I was never in it for the money. And I was in it for finding something that gives me a, a sense of home, a sense of belonging. And it's like, as a chef, didn't matter where you were from really, or what your education was or what your background was, it, you kind of are all level. And I really like that, you know? We're all like the little rebels, you know? Yeah. So it, it gave me a sense of belonging and, and the team and 
I grew up playing football and I always had that. So this kind of felt like, you know, resonated with me. And touching on the influencer situation, I think it goes back to um, what you said about me as I kind of shy away from things because I feel like if Instagram disappeared one day, I'd be really happy because people would know you because you were actually good and not just because you were there. You know, like back in the day, how did people know how great chefs were? So do you, this, I wanted to ask you this, right? So there's like, there's like, there is the food Instagram world, right? Mm -hmm. Ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And there's many different types of people who exist in this universe, right? There are food photographers, there are like um, celebrating heritage accounts that just post photos of, isn't our this better than our this other place, right? Uh, isn't our homeless better than your homeless, basically, account, right? Then there are accounts that like uh, like um, nerdy nerdy accounts. Salma Anas Kahu co-hosts this uh, series with us, has one of my favorite ones. There are a lot of stuff like that. But then there are, are people who are like, I studied to be a chef and I'm a restaurateur, right? Mm-hmm. Do you kind of roll your eyes at... Uh, you know, people who are like, who may look like they're playing chef, like, or are you like, whatever, I don't care about this, like, leave me out of this. I feel like, I don't like to get involved, but I feel like that's definitely shaping the new generation of chefs mm-hmm. and, and not necessarily in the best way, because to them now, everything is visual. It's how everything looks. It's how many techniques I do. It's how many techniques are on the plate and they forget the essence and the core of food is it's got to taste good. So, so true. You know, so that's as much as I'll say about that. And um, doom scrolling is not good for anybody, you know, and I try not to look so much because I don't want to kind of be influenced by anyone. I want to go back to the books and the references and the chefs and the restaurants that I actually admire and they share their knowledge. And for me, that's a great way to see it. And I hope younger chefs don't get too drawn into how things look. And yeah. remember that a lot of the people who cook for us cook, cook to nurture us and to make us happy and to make us enjoy. And don't forget that at the core of it, you know, it's not your ego that matters. Yeah. I always think of it this way. Like it's like DJs who um, play music to showcase their encyclopedic knowledge of songs and like their skills. And then you're like, but nobody's dancing. Yeah. <laughs> I think. I think your your job is to get people to have a really good time. Yeah. And so, okay, I'm going to ask uh, Joan's question. Um, will you be writing a cookery book with your recipes, a cookbook with your recipes? I would love to, but not a traditional sense. So I've kept this kind of a journal since uh, I was a trainee. So since 2014, and I've written down stories and experiences that I've had at the hotel, like really funny experiences um, that I think I would include simple recipes tied up with the stories that come with it. So I took a recipe to pair with when I used to work at the butcher and cut 40 kilos of meat a day and their stories that they used to tell me. So in a traditional fashion of a cookbook, no, but in a storytelling um insight into my life i think would be cool cool yeah um tales by tyler um look at you i'm gonna write that down (laughs) 
Right now. Okay, so um, I think uh, Hajar asked me to ask their question. Okay, a lot of the items on your menu seem very nostalgic and sentimental, at least to me. Can you talk about the process of maybe not creating a dish because that's very creative, but maybe editing a process from creativity and experimentation to being put on a menu? Fantastic question. I'll use one dish as an example, um, and it's the one sandwich that I think I ate every single day for years and years and years, and it's a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And it always hit the spot right there, that photo. So I wanted to capture flavors from my childhood and from other people's childhoods in a way that you wouldn't expect, in a visual way you wouldn't expect. So I take the two ingredients, I break them down into how many textures can I play with? I go textures first. I break it down that way. But at the end of the day, when you eat it, it needs to feel that way together. You have to get that in one bite together. So my peanut butter and jelly sandwich is a simple example. Or I have um, a version of the Matilda cake from the movie because I grew up watching that. And again, I think everybody wanted to eat cake that Bruce was eating as gross as he made it seem. And it's kind of like, how do you bring that memory back for everyone? And again, it's all linked to joy and, and happiness and the world kind of needs more of that, you know? Nice. Yeah. So let me, let me tag on a question to that. How many recipes do you start and you just like crumple up the paper and you're like, yeah, that didn't work. Move on. Plenty. Is it like, is it like, four to one, like failures to successes? Or is it like, no, if I start it, eventually I, I do figure it out. Um, but I fail along the way, but I don't really give up on the ideas. I actually finally like get them on the menu eventually. Sometimes I get better ideas while failing. So I'm like, why did I try so hard to make this work? When this element works and this element works, but if I add a different element to it, it will be even better. And I did this recently with a dessert for a, a dinner that I'm going to have in Dubai next week. Um, and it started off with, I want to do this dessert. And I'm like, no, man, not working, not working. And it just, yeah. you know, you add and you subtract until you get at the end is what tastes good. Yeah. Do you feel like people see the humor in your food or do, or do you think they like think you're much more serious than you are? I hope they see the humor in my food. I, I express myself through my food. Uh, it's much easier that way. Yeah. Um, I think some definitely get it and they get the playfulness of it and they enjoy it. And I enjoy seeing them because I have an open kitchen, especially yeah. when they're people I don't know. And I see them take that bite and they go, they look at each other and go, I'm like, okay, that's a good face. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, our next question comes from Salma, uh, who is Salma Sirri is one of the co-hosts of the Matbakh series. So I'll read her question for her. Almost all female chefs I know express it that it's not easy, as easy being a female chef in, in quote unquote the industry. Is it the same for you? Also, how's being a Bahraini chef too among the Bahraini community? Um, I would say initially it was seen as, again, this is in 2014, I was seen more like, you're a cook, you know, yeah. uh, and chef was a, a term 
only applied, even when they saw me, they wouldn't in the kitchen, they wouldn't call me chef, but I was okay with that because I didn't consider myself a chef until I was leading my own team. That's when I was happy to be acknowledged and given that title. I feel like I earned it at that point. As a woman, um, I found it a bit more challenging in Europe than I did in the Middle East. Um, to be honest, I always felt like, again, had something to prove. I can lift that. I can do that. I can do that as fast as you. I can do that better than you. I can, while here, they underestimate you, but I've changed my mentality in like, okay, you can lift the box. Sure, lift it for me. Rather than being like, no, I can do it. So I found that kind of you change how you react to situations is the best way to get through life. And, you know, you, yeah. you control how you react to the situation. And uh, is it difficult in this industry? I feel like it's difficult in every industry. Um, but I have a great team behind me now. And I don't feel that pressure. Sometimes you still get people who underestimate and undervalue you, though. 100%. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about being a Bahraini chef regionally? Um, is there a sort of a, any preconceived notions about the type of quality of um, sort of cuisine coming out of Bahrain that maybe I would be surprised by, or maybe none at all. Maybe just people are like, oh, cool. That's cool. You're working in Bahrain. I think people don't have much knowledge or, you know, or any background info on, on Bahrain or our cuisine or what we do or where we come from. And, it's kind of fun, actually, like messing with people sometimes a little bit. I'm not going to lie, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't come from the bright and shiny city of Dubai. That, but we are, um, our cuisine is based on necessity. We are people who make the most of what we have. And that's something that I've always done. Um, and my dad always says this saying to me, uh, which means literally um, if you're given a bone or if your fate or is something is a bone, chew it. So make the most of what you have. Yeah. That's very Bahraini. That's something I live by. Um, I and that. then we're just like gritty people that, you know, make the most of what we have. Yeah. Um, well, Tala, I'm glad that we finally did this. We've been talking about it for a while. Um, so anyone who's interested in Tala's work can find her um, begrudgingly on Instagram uh, <laughs> by searching her name, Tala Bashmin. Um, Tala, thanks so much. This was a lot of fun to finally do this. And Thank um, you. This is, was not as scary as I thought. <laughs> okay, great. So this will go up uh, on our um, podcast tomorrow and up on YouTube. Um, anyone who may have missed this, please share the link with them and we will see you next time. Thank Bye. you. Bye everybody. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, go to hafikita.com where you can learn about our Zoom events, our live events in 30 different chapters around the world, our social media presence, and our podcasts and YouTube stuff. You should know that everything we do is all towards a mission of converting passive interest in the histories and cultures of the Arab world into an active intellectual curiosity. By listening to this, you're a part of that movement, so thank you for being here. If you'd like to support our work, go to afikra.com support and join the hundreds of people around the world who make this work possible. Thanks.